We've been talking about being a house of prayer and a house of the pillar and the ground of the truth. You know, the house of God is a special thing. It's a special place. It has special qualities and special things that there is no other institution on earth that can compare to it. There is no other organization or body of people. Uh, the church is truly a unique uh, thing that there is never going to be anything like. There'll never be a replacement for it. It's the family of God. And when we understand it that way, it helps us to understand why God would say things. Let's bow our head. Let's pray. We'll get in uh, and we'll go to our key uh, note verse here. And Father, we just thank you. Lord, be with us today as we talk about the house of God as the household of faith. Father, we thank you today. Lord, as we come, we just believe that we will speak into people's hearts. Father, give us clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit, Father, to speak as your oracle. Father, give each one here ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be a doer of the word. Father, we just thank you that we can be transformed and renewed and conformed to your image through the word of God. And Father, we thank you as forever established in heaven. It'll cause us to be forever established in heaven as well. And Father, we just thank you now. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Well, you know, the house of faith, uh, it's, it's a powerful thought when we think about, you know, the, uh, the government many times, you know, they're, they're a house uh, not of faith in God, but a house of faith in themselves. And, and then there's certain, you know, there's certain entities that are really a house of fear. And, you know, Adolf Hitler ruled his nation by fear and intimidation. Wicked dictators do that all over the world. And, and, and governments ultimately uh, will rule by just a, a subtle fear. And, you know, there is a fear of the Lord, and that's a good and that's a healthy thing. But really, the greater power and the greater expression that God has in his house is love and faith. And, you know, we talked last week, we said that faith works by love. Aren't you glad that faith works by love instead of fear or intimidation or any of these things that the world uses to try to manipulate people into doing and being what they want them to be? But God's house is a house of love. And I'm going to re- read here in Galatians what it says, that there's a specialness about the, the house of God. You know, there's a specialness when we go home for Thanksgiving. There's a special thing about going home to the household that you were raised in. And, and it's the household where your family is. And, you know, I love going back and being with my family. I love talking about times in the past and getting caught up in the times in the present and hearing some of the plans for times in the future. And it's just a great thing to be in a godly, healthy, wholesome family where people are born again and they're filled with the Spirit. They're going to church. They're serving. They're givers. They're understanding the Word of God. You know, you say, well, Pastor Bill, you, talk, you always talk about, you know, going to church and giving, you know, serving and giving. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you something. I'm 10 times harder on my kids than any. You know, there's one thing in the Tweed house where the first penny you ever made, I mean, the first dollar you ever made, you tithed on it. And every one of our kids have tithed from the first penny that they ever got in their hands. And, and I can honestly say our kids have never missed a church service, except maybe if they were very, very sick or really had to do something uh, and be someplace. But they've never just missed a church service in their entire life. And our kids have served their whole life from, from the time that they were very small. We, we put them in the nursery. And, and you know, so if you, if you hear me saying these things... The Bible says, if you know not how to rule your own house, how can you rule the house of God? And I rule, and you know, and lead is a better word, my own house, and I, and I lead this house exactly the same way. Because those three things are so important to bring success to your life. And, you know, and, and, and I'll tell you what, success just follows my kids everywhere they go. 
And it's because of those three things, I'm telling you, that those are, those are imperatives. You cannot, you cannot be uh, lukewarm on those, th- thing, those three things, the giving and serving and, and being in the house of God, hearing the word of God. It'll, it changes your life. And the house of God is a special place. And when you go there, there should be a special affection. And so I'm going to read, and it says, as we have, therefore, opportunity. Let us do good unto all men. You know, we pray for people. We, we endeavor to be soul winners for people. We endeavor, you know, bringing cookies and, and just a, a sense of, hey, we're, we're behind you, police department. We're behind you, sheriff's department. And, and we try to do good to all men. And that's something that, you know, we send out works to missions and, and we try to do all these things. And people that we work with and doing good to all men. But then it says especially. I want everybody to say Especially. Unto them who are in the household of faith. You should prefer your brothers and sisters. You should have a special affection for those who are in Christ. You should consider the people in your church family. You should have a special just insider feeling about other Christians, those who are of the household. Now, we do good to all men, but let me tell you something. There's nothing like family, and there is not a, there's not another how can I say, entity uh, outside the church and the family that we should have more affection, more commitment to, more faithfulness, more willing to serve, give, and be a part of, and be a blessing to than the local church. Because the local church is the place of truth. And, and the Bible says it's the pillar and the ground of the truth. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that. And we said there will be those because the Antichrist will come with all deceivableness. And it says, and they that love not the truth, God will turn you over to a delusion that you might believe a lie that he might damn your soul to eternity. Not that he wants to do that, but he's going to get you off the fence. Either you're going to love truth and you're going to pursue it, or if you love darkness and you love th- something that's not true, God will turn you over to it. That's what the Bible calls a reprobate mind. And if you don't love truth, and the, if you seek truth, he'll give you truth. And the more you act on truth, the more he'll give it to you. And if you don't seek truth, the truth that you have, the Bible says he will take it away from you. And then it, it even goes on. And this is second. You say, where is this in the Bible? It, it's second Thessalon, It's First Thessalonians, second chapter. You get over there around verse ten through fifteen. It talks about this, and it says, if you don't love the truth, turn your neighbor and say, you need to love the truth. See, Jesus said, my word is truth. Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. And, and, you know, we've got to love truth. And it says that he will turn them over to a delusion if you don't love truth. If you don't love the preaching of the word, there's something terribly wrong with you as a Christian. Now, maybe as a heathen or a lost person, that, that's normal. But as a believer, you should love the word. You should hardly wait to get back to church and hear more word. Amen. Somebody say Amen. Because if you love not the truth, the Bible says he will turn you over to a delusion that you might be damned. Truth is important. And the house of God is the house of truth. And the house of God is the house of the brethren. And they're supposed to be an especially do good and love this wonderful, this unique, unlike anything else, institution, which is God's family, the people of God. So we said there's four components where the household of faith uh, has to have. And first we said it's got to be a place of love. 
And we talked about last week that, you know, in 1 John 4, uh, 16 through 18, it talks about that perfect love casts out all fear. And there's two forces in the world. There's fear and there's faith. And the Bible says in, in um, Proverbs 10, 24, it says that the fear of the wicked shall come upon them. But the desire, which is faith, because whatsoever you desire, if you believe you receive it, you shall have it, it says. But desire is the component of faith. faith now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That hoped for is desire. So know this, that the fear of the wicked shall come upon them, but the desire or the faith or the belief in good things of the righteous shall be granted unto them. You see, faith is this, believing that God's going to do something good. Fear is believing that Satan is going to do something bad. Because we know, John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I'm come that you might have a life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said that. He said it about the false teachers, but we know who was behind them was Satan. And so we understand that. And we understand that love also, it takes all fear away. Perfect love casts out all fear. And when you don't have any fear, you'd have no reason to commit and entrust your life to the Lord Jesus. To commit your finances to him. Because if there's no fear, then you can have faith and you can come boldly into the throne room of God in your time of trouble. And you can say, Lord, I totally trust you. Perfect love. I've come to know your perfect love. And why would I have fear of the one who died for me? Why would I have fear of the one who wants to prosper in me? Why would I have fear? Why would I not trust? Why would I not give my whole life to the person who laid down his life for mine? And no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life. And that perfect love that he's shown towards us should cast out all fear and cause us to put in all trust towards him. Somebody say amen. Then the second component of that love is that now we are love recipients. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost when we're born again, Romans 5, 5. And we've been recipients of that love. And now that the same way that we have loved, the Bible says we're supposed to love others with it. And we can love him because he first loved us. And we can love others because he loved us and now we can love others. And it says in Ephesians, be imitators of Christ and forgive others even as Christ has forgiven you. And he laid down his life. And when we walk in that forgiveness, then faith works. Because it says in Mark eleven twenty two, it says, have the faith of God or have faith in God. And then 23 says, verily I say unto you, whoever shall say of the mountain, be thou removed, be thou, shall, be thou cast in the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. But believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you'll have whatsoever he saith. Then it goes on and says, and when you stand praying, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive it and you shall receive it. And then it says this, and this is the part we always leave out. And when you stand praying, forgive. How many of the greatest expression of God's love is his forgiveness? And we're told in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 that to be imitators of God and to forgive each other. And so the house of God is the place of forgiveness. The house of God is the place of faith. And when we walk in forgiveness, we're walking in love. And faith works by love because faith and love work together. Because when you have perfect love, it casts out fear. So you automatically have faith. When you get rid of all, you know, Brother Earl Roberts said this one time. He says, faith is just simply this. When all fear is eradicated. And you can totally commit everything to God and trust in him and place it in his hands. I really believe that. That's really a true statement. And so we're called to forgive others so that they can walk in love, so they don't have to fear us because we don't forgive them. See, when there's unforgiveness and then there's vindication or vindictiveness, excuse me, and, and, and then people would be afraid to have a relationship with you because they know you haven't forgiven them. How many of you know we have to forgive others so that we can have a love relationship with other people? 
And then we've got to understand God's forgiveness so that we can walk in faith towards him. So faith works by love. We talked about that last week. And that's a a quick synopsis of what we said. And I want to go on to my second point. The household of faith is also a place of agreement. Turn with me in the Bible to Psalms 133 and 1 Corinthians 1. We'll go back there into the Old Testament. We'll look at that first. And it's an amazing thing because the household of faith, where faith works, that place where faith is uh, really the way everything is done. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. They that come to must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In Romans, it says, anything that's not done in faith is sin. And we're to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And all things are possible to them that believe. It's, it's, the, it's the perfect life. It's the perfect relationship with God is having faith. And when there's not faith, there's always fear. But look what it says. In that place, there has to be agreement. Psalms 133, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity is the point and place of agreement. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Agreement has power. Verily, I say unto wherever two or more of you are gathered together, agreeing is touching anything on earth, it'll be done of our Father who is in heaven. We've got to understand that, that, you know, Envy and strife is the place of satanic undermining of everything in your life. If you've got a house full of envy and strife, or let's just say, forget envy, let's just say strife, or, or we just got a house full of disagreement. How can two walk together except they be agreed? All the devil has to do is get you and your spouse in disagreement. All the devil has to do is get a faction in the church in disagreement, and he'll shut down the house of God being a house of faith. Because disagreement is a, is a wicked and evil state of affairs in a church, in a family, or in anything. That's why we have agreement, and we come together in agreement prayer. But look what it says. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment. Ointment always refers and alludes to the anointing. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Aaron was the priest that went down to the skirts and the garments. Well, the priest is the headship. The oil, the anointing runs down his beard. That's the mouthpiece. And then it goes down onto the people. See, there has to be agreement between the Aaron of the house and the body and the rest of the house. And the, and the anointing will come through his speaking and the unity will form uh, uh, the fullness. And this is a picture of unity. This is a picture of preaching. This is a picture of what the, where the anointing can show up. In those set of circumstances, verse 3, and as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended. Here's a picture of the Holy Spirit descending upon us, just like in the days of Pentecost and numerous places where it says the Spirit came down and rested upon Jesus, even as in the form of a dove. In Acts 10 and Acts 19, how the Spirit came upon them. And Acts 8 came upon them. And in Numbers 11, the Spirit comes upon them. And it's like the dew upon a mountain of Zion. There the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forever. In other words, eternal life, Zoe life. See, there's something about when we get into unity, the anointing will come on the preacher, it'll come upon the people. The anointing will descend like the the dew on Mount Hermon, that that very special place. And that's where God commands the blessing. How many want God to command the blessing on your household? How many want God to command a blessing on this church house? See, unity creates that atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to descend and come down upon it. You can't have a bunch of fighting and bickering and think the Holy Ghost is going to bless you as a household, bless this as a church, bless any type of activity, 
in human endeavor of any kind. It'll always end up in division if there's not unity. And I believe this, that in Matthew it says, a house divided will not stand. And that's the antithesis of this unity that's being spoken of here. 1 Corinthians 1, turn there quickly with me. There's another powerful, powerful scripture about unity over in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. I like this verse of scripture. It really breaks it down into real practical understanding. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, they all speak the same thing. What does that mean? Does that mean when we're all home, we all need to get on a a conference call and just recite the same words every day? No, that means you need to say the same thing about the church. You need to say the same thing about the vision. You need to say the same. And how would we all get on the same page? By looking at the same page in the Bible. In other words, when we're all speaking the word, we're basically going to be speaking the same thing, aren't we? How many of you are speaking the word over the church? How many of you are speaking the word over your house? How many, or, or some are just speaking what they see, what they feel, what they hear, what they taste, what they touch. In other words, a lot of people get into speaking their feelings. You know, well, I'm going to speak my mind on this. You know, I don't want pink carpet in the church. Or, you know, there's always somebody in, in a church that ha- has to be, you know, has to have his say. We, how many of you know having your say is unscriptural? We all need to have our united say in what the Bible says. Can I get an amen? amen? See, there's something about when we begin to get our mouths all going the same direction. There's something about when we all begin saying the same thing about the vision. It's going to, when we all say it's not going to rain Monday and Tuesday, and those guys are going to come up from St. Louis, and they're going to get that building done. Amen. Something powerful begins to happen. When we all begin to say, we're, we're raising godly kids in this church. We're sending out people on the mission field in this church. We're raising money and, and, and having a year-end offering that's going to hit $25,000 this year in this church. And they all begin to say the same thing. And then all of a sudden, you get money in the mail that you, you were believing for, the exact amount that you were believing to give in the offering. Because you're saying the right thing. You're saying the same thing as the pastor. Pastor's saying the same thing as God said to him and uh, imparting to him the vision. And, and all of you are saying the same things because you heard it at church. And, and we all, and, and you know, something about that creates a unity and a faith that breaks the strongholds, that breaks through everything that is coming against you. And when we all say that, you know, we're prospering, we're, we're receiving the blessings of God. My goodness, even the wicked heathens back in, in Genesis 11.1, 1, it says, and they all were of one tongue, and they were all of one mind. They begin to build a tower called Babel. And this was an evil occult, works-based religion expression of that we're going to do our thing, God, and, and we're going to do it our way. And it was a spit in God's face, and it was wicked. But God says the very thing that they all agree to do, anything that they think to do, because they are unified, I will not even be able to stop them. In a wicked endeavor, not even a godly endeavor. He says, I'm going to have to go break their unity somehow by confusing their language down there at Babel. And he went and he did that. Speaking the same thing is so powerful that if wicked people do it, they can even do things that God can't even stop them from doing. Unless he goes down and breaks their unity. That's the power. Everybody said, that's the power of unity. Wow, that's amazing. That's why Jesus said, wherever two or more you're gathered together, agreeing, as touching anything on earth. It'll be done by our Father in heaven. 
wherever two or more of you gathered agreeing. There am I in the midst of thee. Jesus only likes to dwell where there's unity. Let's, let's keep going back. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. I don't want to get too far away from the verse here. And it, and it says here, And now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. Schisms. Unfortunately, we got charismatics, and then we got a lot of schismatics running around. Gosh, people want to split churches and have their way and be narcissistic, and it's all about me. And, you know, you know even the North Korean airlines, it's all about you. I haven't ever seen that commercial. If you watch Fox News, you see it way too many times. But anyway, everything's about us. You know, there's a magazine called Self Magazine now. And, you know, there's just something about Giving up your way once in a while. How many of you know that's really good for you? It's really healthy not to get your way. It's really, really good for you to not get your way. It's really good to defer to one another and walk in love towards one another and serve and give up and sacrifice for one another. It's really good for you. It really grows you up. It's a really healthy and wholesome thing to do with your life. So it says here, and I, I like the, these things are really powerful things, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. You know, in Ephesians it says that we're cemented, each one is cemented together. So that, that's what the Greek word means. We're supposed to be cemented together. Christ is the cornerstone and we are the building and, and he brings us all together and each one is fitly joined together. Everybody say fitly joined together. There's a fitting together like a puzzle, and I've, I say it all the time. The Bible talks about being assembled together, not thrown together, not a mob, not a crowd, but an assembled by God with his blueprint in an orderly fashion. The pastor here and, and the elders, you know, the deacons, the, the, the ministry of helps, the children's ministry, there's an assembling people together according to their gifting, divinely orchestrated and ordained by God. And the word one accord literally comes from the idea of an orchestra. How many of you know you just can't throw a bunch of musicians and a bunch of, you know, uh, musical instruments together and just start doing your own thing? How many of you have to be very orchestratedly joined together with a precision and an intentionality to make a beautiful sound? See, that's what a congregation is supposed to be. You know, a lot of people just think, well, we'll just get as many people in a building as we can, and that's church. That's a very ignorant, dumbed-down idea of church. Being joined together in, in a divinely orchestrated, like a puzzle coming together and fit. And it says, fitly joined together, cemented, making each uh, the supply, it says in Ephesians 4. That supply that edifies and builds up the body of Christ. How many of you want that this morning? See, we need to love the household. The household of faith is the only place like that. There's nothing like that. It's supernatural. It's divinely orchestrated. So it says, speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but <clears throat> that ye be perfectly joined together. You know, it's the same word as where it says, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. How many of you remember that out of Matthew? It's in every, almost every wedding vows. It's that same perfectly joined together. God's church is a unique thing. And the same mind and in the same judgment. And in, in most translations, instead of the word judgment, judgment's an old word, 
old-fashioned way of saying, in the same opinion. You know, you just need to get rid of some of your opinions. In my opinion, don't want to hear it. Well, this is what I say. Don't want to hear it. Don't break our unity around here. Don't be an aching, troublemaking dude. Let's all stay in unity. Let's sacrifice for the greater cause of unity. Can I get an amen? amen. And you know what? We have that in this church. I'm so glad that we don't have a bunch of, I'll do it my ways. We're the most, I've never seen a more unified church. I thank God that we've got unity in this church. I thank God I've got unity in my family. I thank God I've got unity in my marriage. Let me tell you something, it's powerful. It'll bless you. It will propel you. It will exalt you. It will cause you to be a winner and not a loser. You can't play on a team and everybody do their own thing. You know, I believe this, that God wants us the early church, they understood the power of being in one. Eh, let's turn there. Let's go to Acts 4 chapter quickly. And let's look at a couple of things over there in, in uh, Acts, the early church, how they operated. They operated in some powerful, powerful things. Let me tell you. Acts the fourth chapter, we'll pick it up in about verse 29. And now the Lord, behold, their threatenings. This is, the apostles are praying this. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness that they may speak thy word, stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders be done in the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Amen. Amen. Not the type of shaking that Elvis Presley talked about. A whole lot of shaking going on. And where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with, with the Holy Ghost, and they all spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Wow. When you, when you look at that, let's look at verse 23. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Wow. Wow. They're all in one place, and they were all in one heart and one soul. Other places talks about, you know, Acts 2, 4 talks about they're all in one accord. Of course, that word accord is a, is a musical word that has to do with orchestrating music complimentary, bringing it together. So there, there's great power. There's great power in being in one accord. And I believe this, that God wants us uh, to be in harmony. You know, I, I pastored a church in, in Moorhead, Kentucky, and I came that, that church had split after split after split. They ran off pastor after pastor after pastor. And it was a strange thing in that church. They all had their own ministry. They all had their own vision and they all had their own direction that they were going. And they wanted the pastor to come bring unity to all of it. I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, you have one vision. And if you have two visions, then you have division. And you have one vision, and you all get on that page and follow it. Habakkuk says, I'll sit on my watch. I'll see what the, he'll say unto me. I'll write the vision down, make it plain upon tables. That he that readeth it may run with it. And though the vision may tarry, it shall not tarry. For in due time it shall come to pass. And, and I saw that. You know, this group had this little inner healing thing going on, and this group had this little men, men's thing going on, and, and none of it was really under the supervision of an overarching vision or an overarching uh, place of, position of authority in, in the office of the pastor. And they all did, and you know, and I thought, wow, this is exactly what happened in Israel when it says, and they all did what was right in their own eyes when there was no king in Israel. 
It was kind of like a flea market. Well, I'm going to do my little vision. I'm going to do my little vision. I'm going to do my gig, and you're going to do your gig, and we'll all just do our gig under one great big flea market tent. And none of it was connected. None of it was coordinated. None of it had any continuity. None of it had a big overarching plan. Everything was small picture, and nothing was big picture. Nothing had a plan to it. Nothing had any uh, measurable results and goals to it. It was all just everybody go out there and, and do church any way you wanted, your own way, your own thing, uh, your own time, and, and, and nobody's going to tell you what to do. How many of you know if you do that with a football team, that doesn't work? How many of you know you do that with a, bit, with a business plan, that doesn't work? How many of you know with any, anybody with half common sense and any other endeavor in human in, endeavoring knows that that doesn't work? But yet sometimes people in churches get so silly, get so confused, get so upside down, and they don't understand. It's so important that we're all on the same page. It's so important that we all are running off the same playbook. It's so important that we all are adhering and and getting behind and getting in unity according to one vision. Somebody say amen. The place of the house of faith There has to be agreement for faith to work. Wherever two or more are gathered together, agreeing. See, you can get by if you're just believing for something for yourself, but that's a different jurisdiction. Self is one jurisdiction. Your family is another jurisdiction. The church is another jurisdiction. And when it's just you, all you need is you and you and you, yourself and I. Me, myself, and I is the only three that have to agree when it comes to me. But when it's you and your wife, guess what? You better get into agreement. Because that's the jurisdiction of your household. When it comes to the church over here, it's going to have to be the pastor and the leader and the leadership are all going to have to get into agreement because that's a different jurisdiction. Somebody say amen. And there needs to be agreement with that, with that whole group, that leadership, that pastor and the people that are following and being a part of that group. And the captain of that ship, governments means that you're the pilot, that you're, the, that you're calling to the oarsmen, you know, talking about a ship and, and, and a pilotage and everybody's, you know, how many of you know if you're, all, if you're all doing the oars at a different time in a different way, how many of you know the ship's just going to go around in circles? Literally, the, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, the term the office of governance, that's the pastor's office. That, that literally means a pilot of a ship, an oarsman. And then we all get on the same page, we all get orchestrated, calculated, and, and, and get, so we're going someplace. Can I get an amen? So the, the house of God, the house of faith, for faith to work, for people to get healed, for people to get saved, for backsiders to come home, we're all going to have to get an agreement. That's why I have that board and all of us coming down here and praying together. Can I get an amen? It's very important that we have unity. Number three, a place of helps ministry. The helps ministry exponentially grows the word in me, in you, and in the community. And it starts with the house of God, getting things in a, in a proper order. Not any old-fashioned where, where, you know, leave it all up to the pastor, you know, leave it all up to the, you know, let, let's pay some, pay some professionals to come do this. You know, big churches turned into this, seeker churches turned into this. We'll leave our small church, we'll go to the big church, and in the big church, we won't have to do anything, we'll be unseen, unheard, unknown, and we won't even really have to tithe and nobody will even know it. We won't have to serve and nobody will know it. But we'll punch in, we'll punch out, we'll put in our time so we can say we went to church. Because after all, I like that pep talk from that life coach, and I like that carnival for the kids, and I like that coffee in the pew, and I like that rock, that rock concert they put on somewhere between the preaching and, and, and the beginning of the service. But let me tell you something. That isn't always church, folks. Can I get an amen? And you see, 
that there has to be a coming together and there has to be an understanding that there, there is a purpose and we all need to get plugged in. And, and there's something about unity and, and, and the place of the ministry of helps that you will not grow if you don't serve. You do not grow if you don't serve. You just don't. You've got to be a doer of the word. If you don't serve, you don't grow. That's why God tells us all to serve and all to do something. You stay the same. It still stays about you. And, the, and growth is this, it becoming less and less about you. Somebody say amen. That's growth. That's what growth is. It's when it's less and less about you. And it's about others. That's so important that we understand that. And that we serve and we, we get joined together. And, and that helps the governments. You know, there's elders and deacons. In Philippians, it says that the elders and the deacons and the saints, well, it says the bishops and the deacons and the saints, they're at Philippi in Paul's salutation in that first verse of Philippians 1. And the reason why he, he says that is because the, deacon and the, the elders are like dad, the deacons are the helpers, they're like mom, and the saints are like the kids being developed up to be good deacons and elders or good moms and dads. And I know one thing, my, my kids, they're going to clean their room, they're going to make their bed, they're going to take out the garbage, they're going to do their chores, they're going to be responsible for some duties, because I want them to grow up, and I want them to be responsible parents, re- raising responsibly my grandchildren. Said a bunch of know-nothing knuckleheads that have no idea of how to run a household, and how to, how to orchestrate their life, and how to serve God properly. I'm going to train them to serve, I'm going to train them to get involved. I'm going to train them because it does not come but naturally. You have to go against the tide of the flesh. You have to go against the tide of the Antichrist culture that we live in. You're going to have to train them to do some things. In Acts 6, 1 through 2, it says that the, the Grecian widows were clamoring and saying, hey, we're not getting fed around here. And so the disciples came to the apostles and they said this. They go, hey, we've got a problem. Uh, we got all these widows. They're not getting fed. They're mad. And they're Greeks, and we're Hebrews, and they think that we're, you know, we're racist or something. I don't know. That seems to be, you know, the big thing today. Everybody's a racist, you know. And, and you know, the Greeks and the widows, I mean, the Greeks and the Hebrews, you know, they, whatever it was, they weren't getting along. They says, and what are you going to do about it? And the, and the pastors and the, and the apostles said, no, 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 excuse me, what are you going to do about it? You got that wrong. What are you going to do about it? Because it's not good for me to leave the word in prayer. Because if I stop feeding you, you'll die spiritually. Then nobody will do anything about anything. Because none of us will be trained and build up enough to understand why we should do these things. He says, what are you going to do about it? It's not good for me to leave the word in prayer. And he says, okay, we'll choose out seven men full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith, full of the word. And they named off these seven guys and they put them on the task. And they were servants. Later on, they're called the seven. Almost like superhero figures. It almost takes a superhero figure to, do, to be a servant today. And let me tell you something. They went on to be phenomenal. Stephen, Philip, I mean, these guys did miracles. They changed cities. They, they went, but they started out feeding widows. What does that have to do with being, you know, having a, a, a great, big, huge... Uh, Revival in Samaria, where the whole city is filled with joy and people are healed and delivered and saved. And what? You mean the training was serving widows? Now, let me think. What does that have to do with preaching? I can't connect those dots. No, it's your faithfulness and your character. Because feeding widows 
in the natural has nothing to do with being a good preacher. But it has everything to do with your character. And that's the one, that's the type of person God will pour out his spirit and cause you to be a good preacher. Somebody say amen. Or to be a good businessman. Or to be a good whatever you do for your vocation in life. There's something about when you'll build God's house, he'll build your house. And so the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied. When? When the preacher didn't go help the widows. Oh, oh my gosh, pastor. When the preacher didn't go help the widows? Well, every preacher ought to go help the widows. I mean, what's what, what? I mean, after all, what do we pay that guy to do anyway? No, when the preacher didn't go help the widows. That's when the word of God multiplied. The disciples multiplied. And before that, it only said that God added to the church. And when the preacher quit doing everything and went and got his nose stuck in the word and prayer and got so full of the word that he came and exploded and got the word all over the people on Sunday morning full of the word. And then they went out because they're so full of the word and exploded and got the word all over everybody that they work with, everybody that they know, everybody that they live with is their family. All of a sudden, the word began to have an explosion. Somebody say amen. When the preacher quit visiting the widows is when the word grew in the community. It grew in the pulpit. It grew in the pews. It grew out among the pagans. It grew everywhere. Because the catalyst starts with the preacher. What does that have to do with the house of faith? Well, when the word increases, so does faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Anybody getting this this morning? The more we can multiply the word in our pulpit, in our pew, in our home, in our own consciousness, in the place that we work at, in our conversations, anytime we can begin to increase the word of God, I don't care where it is, I don't care what the venue is, when you begin to increase the word of God, the more you'll increase the propensity for people to get curious, and then when you get them curious, they come and get saved. Somebody say amen. So it's when the preacher quit visiting the widows that the word of God increased and God was able to do what he wanted to do. And it's when the people began to go visit the widows. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's called the ministry of helps. The ministry of helps is what causes the word of God to increase. And when the word of God increases, faith automatically increases. Somebody say amen. amen. The household of faith has to have the ministry of helps. Helps freeze up the word to grow. When the word grows, everybody has more faith. That's why it's called the household of faith. And we're to especially do good under the household of faith, it says. That was our key first verse today. Let's go on. One more. Lastly, it needs to be a place of confession. Kind of already talked about that a little bit because that, that, that's just powerful. 1 Corinthians 10, 9 says that you all speak the same thing. You know, it's disastrous when we don't speak the same thing. It's absolutely disastrous. You know, and I shared this on Wednesday night. There was a guy on the Sid Roth show. He was a a Hispanic man who was a Satanist. He served the devil. He reached such high levels of serving the devil that he began to operate in what they call astral body travel or out-of-body travel. And Satanists go around... These high-level, high-ranking Satanists who've learned these things. You, know, you say, well, where's that? Well, you know, Philip went after he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch in the 8th chapter of Acts. 
was transported from one city to another. There is out-of-body travel. I've been out of my body twice. The Lord showed me hell once. Another time, I just left my body for a few moments and came back in. And I truly believe it was God just was teaching me things about the difference between the body, spirit, and the soul. Let me tell you something. This man said that when people are in the satanic rituals and, you know, shedding baby's blood, all, all the really bad stuff, that, then, then there's a great evil power that gets released through their commitment to Satan. And he said he would go and torment people, especially preachers and word-preaching churches. Well, I never had so much trouble since I joined that church down there where they preached so, much Bi- so many Bible verses. Well, that's because the devil will attack you when you get the word in your life. Yeah. Persecution arises for the word's sake, it says in the parable of the sower. You ought to be proud that you're worthy to be attacked and you're worthy to be persecuted. And it's some, it's some useless thing the devil doesn't even worry about because he probably already owns you and you don't know it. See, let me tell you something. He said this. He said that they would go and they would just cause havoc and, and coordinate the efforts with demons, demonic activity, satanic Worshippers operating out of their body, causing things, doing terrible things. He says the only thing that stops that is praying in tongues and speaking the word. Because he said in most churches, the angels are just standing around like statues. How many of you know in Psalms 103.7 it says this? It says that the angels hearken unto the voice of the word. They can't do a thing. You have not because you ask not. As long as you don't say anything, the angels can't hearken to any word because you haven't spoken any word. You haven't prayed any word. You haven't made declarations with the word. You haven't rebuked the devil with the word. You haven't based your prayers on the word. So the angels just stand there because they will only hearken to the word. You know, there's so many voices in the world. They, they can't go hearkening to every voice. They only know one voice, the voice of the word. Fallen angels know different voices. Lucifer, he, he, he didn't obey the word, but true angels only obey the word. And he said that he noticed when he had these weird out of body, this is before he saved, this is when he was a very wicked man. Now he's a pastor. He said that he, he, he would see this, and, and, and as soon as somebody started praying in tongues, there was like the angels just went, and came after him. Whenever somebody would pray the word instead of some stupid religious prayer, when somebody actually prayed the word, suddenly the angels would come alive. And they'd run those demons and those Satanists off. And then things would start getting done. And God's will would start coming. The place of confession is so powerful, people. I don't think we really understand how important our words are. I mean, God only created the universe with his words, right? Duh. Just minor thing, you know, words. But he created the universe with his words. You'll create your world with your words. You will. Absolutely. Is your world pretty... Does it stink to be you today? (laughs) That's probably because of your words. Come on. It's probably because of your words. Yesterday's confessions are today's realities. But we need to speak the same thing because there was a group of people who didn't speak the same thing. In Numbers 13, Moses came and he said, let's take the land. God says, I give you the land, Numbers 13, 1 and 2. God told Moses, I give you the land. Can you all say that? I, he gives us the land. Yeah. 
You know, for some people, they just couldn't say that. As simple as that is, God says, I give you the land. Now, you go out and look at it and tell me, you say, God will let you get out of it. God's going to test your faith. And, and you know what? Some of them couldn't come back and say, he gave us the land. Only two out of 12 could. Isn't that pathetic? Only two out of 12 could agree with God. Because you know what? We always know better than God in our arrogance and narcissism. We always think we know more than God. Yeah, but you don't understand, Pastor Bill. You know, I can't get happy. I can't have joy. I can't have peace because of this and this and this and this and this. Well, my Bible says it gives us joy unspeakable and full of glory. My Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Well, I can't because of this and, and because somebody's offended me or somebody's done that. And I can't because of this set of circumstances. I can't because I don't have enough money. I can't because somebody hasn't treated me right. I can't. Well, you know, you're just like those 10 that said, we can't take the land. But God said, I give you the land. Is there anybody who can say, he gave us the land? Can anybody say that? He gave us the land. See, or are you like those ten disobedient? And here's here's the crazy thing. God said, the land is yours. Moses said, you know, the land is ours. Joshua and Caleb said, the land is ours. We're well able to take it. Let's go do it, guys. But there were just ten spies that came back that did not agree and couldn't get their confession straight. They couldn't get their agreement right. They couldn't say the right thing that he gave us the land. They says, you know, we're not able because there's giants and there's walled cities and, you know, we're just not able. You know, those people are a poison and a cancer. They're a toxic group. And you know what? They discouraged the whole congregation. So now everybody's saying all kinds of stupid things like, let's go back to Egypt. Everybody's saying all kinds of things like, Moses brought us out here to kill us. Now they're saying all kinds of stupid things like, we used to have it better. Oh, really? You sure wanted to leave when when Moses led you out of Egypt? Now they're saying all kinds of stupid things. Everything goes. You can say anything you want now. Well, that's the devil's crowd. Let me tell you something. The household of faith has to learn to say the same thing, which is the word of God. Well, maybe it's God's will to heal, and maybe it's not. Well, then how are we ever going to know, and where would you get that special revelation to find that out? Because my Bible already tells me it's God's will. And Jesus never once prayed if it be thy will when it came to praying for healing. I don't care what your deal is. We need to all say the same thing. And that is only able to be orchestrated by God in the vision that he gives to his people. Can I get an amen? Jesus said, speak unto the mountain and it'll be removed. Jesus did not say you'll have what you believe. He said you'll have what you say. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast on sea, and shall not doubt that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Say three times, believe one time. God's not even mentioned in the verse. It's all about what we are saying. It's all about what we are saying. Can we say the same thing? Can we say these people are going to get healed? Can we say that building's going to get done next week? Can we say that God is going to bring in 25,000? Can you say it? Or are you going to be the, the one who kind of thinks you're smarter than God? And, you know, but there's walled cities. Uh, you know, I don't know how that's going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I've got this. And, and, you know, we're not interested in your opinion. 
God's not interested in your opinion. Faith, can't, faith is not interested in an opinion. Faith is interested, are you going to say what God said? And God said, I give you the land. Then I'm going to say, he gave me the land. Somebody say amen. That's why we say amen. So everybody will say, so be it. That gets us all on the same page. And one vision. <laughs> and anything that's more than one vision is thy vision. And thank God we have high unity in this church. I, I've never seen a church with more unity than this church. I've never seen a church that could believe in things and see people get healed and see money come in and see things change like this church. Praise God for it. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> it's powerful. This is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, then we know that he hears us. And we know that he hears us. We know that he has granted us the petitions that we have desired of him. His will and his word are exactly the same thing. There's nothing in here that is not his will. And there's nothing in his will that's not in his word. They are exactly the same thing. His will and his word. So you could say this. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his word, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that he has granted us the petitions that we have desired of him. So anytime we ask, that's why, Pastor Bill, why do you pray so many scriptures? Because I'm praying his word. I don't, got, I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to pray. It's all right here. Like, I think I know more than God what should be prayed. He's already told us what to pray. He's already told us what to believe. He's already told us what to do. We just need to get lined up with it, not try to get him lined up with our, our imagination. So when we do that, this is the confidence. That we have. And how would we all pray the same thing? By all staying hooked with the word when we pray. Amen. One morning I'm praying and there's some sick people and I'm going to pray, you know, Isaiah 53, by his stripes we're healed. I'm going to pray James 5, that, you know, the prayer of faith says 6. I'm going to pray Mark 16 where it says that he'll lay hands on the sick and they shall. And, and you might be praying on Wednesday. I might be praying on Friday. But you know what? We're all going to pray from the same pool of scriptures because we believe in praying what the word says. Yeah. And that brings us into agreement. And that brings power. That brings change. That brings answered prayers, praise God. All the promises of God are yes and amen. Habakkuk says, I'll sit on my watch and I'll see what he'll say to me. Why didn't God just give it to all of them? Why, didn't, why doesn't it say, we'll all sit on our own little watch and we'll all see what God will say to every single one of us? Well, that's fine for your house, but the jurisdiction of the church has to get everybody on the same page. Amen. Remember, there's your personal jurisdiction, there's the jurisdiction of your family, and you can be in agreement with you, for you, and you be in agreement with your wife, for your family, and you've got to be in agreement with the pastor and the vision of what God is leading us and the word of God in the church. Somebody say amen. amen. This is why we have so much vision around here, because we have people that agree. And thank God for a church like this that does agree and gets behind it in faith and we see stuff begin to happen. It's powerful. I love it. Because we're the household of faith. And we do it good especially to one another. Because we're special people with a special mission from God with some special tools and principles that God has given us to do very special things. Somebody say amen. I just believe that there's nothing impossible for those of us who are part of the household of faith. I think there's nothing impossible. And I think faith can, can do anything. It's the great equalizer when we walk in love. When the household, 
Excuse me, when the household of faith walks in love, it's powerful. When we walk in agreement, it's powerful. When we release the ministry of helps, it's powerful. It increases faith in the house. When we all get together and we start speaking, confessing, we become like Caleb. And we begin to be like Joshua. We begin to be like the second Joshua generation. And we go out and we take the land even though Moses and the former generation couldn't. Anybody, anybody know that's in the Bible, all that stuff? It's a wonderful thing to be the household of faith. It's a wonderful thing to walk in love. It's a wonderful thing to walk in agreement. It's a wonderful thing to get involved in helps and serving. It's a wonderful thing for us all to speak the same thing like an army, but our swords are our tongue. You know, there's one offensive weapon in the, in the armor of God. And there's one thing that a soldier of God needs, and that's a weapon called the sword of the Spirit. And when the devil sees an army of people speaking the word, the same thing, and praying in tongues. Surely praying in tongues is probably just praying the word. Because why would you pray something other than the word when God has you pray in tongues? So when we are speaking the word, it's like an army with a spiritual sword of the Spirit defeating everything in our path. Somebody say amen. Well, I'm tired. I've I've been... I preached hard, so let's all stand up. I was up late and got up early. So you ain't getting no more. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Amen. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. How many want to be a household of faith today? I believe that God has given us this great commodity, this great thing called faith, for us to use it, not to sit on it. And to be a good steward of it and multiply it. Amen. And I think when we do, he's going to reward us greatly. He's going to give us more. So let's bow our head. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for agreement. Father, we thank you for helps. Father, we thank you for confession. And Father, I pray that we all make that our confession that we will walk in these four things. Everybody who, who wants to walk in those four things, say this with me. I will be a household of faith. And I will do good, especially to the household of faith. And I will walk in love. I'll walk in agreement. I'll walk in the ministry of helps. I'll walk in biblical confessions together with my brothers and sisters. And we will conquer, we will overcome, we will see victory, we will prosper, we will do everything that God wants us to accomplish in Jesus' name.